here in just a minute. Uh, and it's good to be here. Sorry I missed last week. I've told some of you all the schedule at work has gotten a little out of hand because we're a person short. So uh, getting off on Sundays has become a little harder than it used to be. So we're dealing with that as we can. But I hope to be back with you this morning. I uh, had a great time in Sunday school this morning. If you're missing those classes, man, and you want to come in and just be able to kind of just come in, hang on, see what's going on, ask some questions, that is a great opportunity downstairs. We're in the back. We would love to have you there with us. We've been talking about Daniel now for the last couple months. Uh, a wonderful story, a wonderful passage of Scripture, uh, a strong passage for those that are struggling maybe with the influences of life or whatever's going on in your life. Maybe you're meeting uh, some adversarial things at work, at school, whatever else. The book of Daniel is a wonderful place to be. Why? Because you and I will see the grace and the goodness of God be poured out over and over and over. We will see the faithfulness of God be poured out over and over and over. You and I will see it too, not in, in, in relationship to equals. What we will see it is in relationship to the world's power or the world's powerful in relation to those that have no power. Right? When the book starts, we're talking about uh, four young men. We're talking about the those that have come in as exiles, those that have come in as strangers. We're talking about those that have been brought to the kingdom as prisoners of war. They're young. They're the smartest. They're the, they're the cream of the crop in that nation. But the goal for Nebuchadnezzar is to build this kingdom. And in order to do that, he needs to bring in some outside forces of all of his insanity, of all of his pride. I am uh, reminded of at least a smidge of humility in what he's doing in order to build his kingdom. He's bringing in the best of the world that he is conquering in order to learn what they know or to have what they have. So there is at least just a, a small element of humility in his life. And he's bringing these young ones in. And you and I have been watching their story for the last couple months. So where have we been? Well, we've been watching four teenagers become examples of faithfulness. These four teens in the first couple chapters are examples of faithfulness. Young ones here this morning, I am begging you to grow up and to grow out of the idea of what our culture calls adolescence. Like this time period of just spinning your wheels and being half a kid, but looking like an adult, right? Kids that shave, well, however you want to say it. I am begging you to grow up and to grow out of that. You're going to be 18. We've watched this week as people started moving their children into college. And you're not going to be around your family's influence. You're not going to be around this church's influence. You're going to be making grown-up decisions at 18. Some of you are sitting here at 16 and you think that's a really long way away. It is is not you will blink and it will be here you will blink again and you'll be 41 and stuff will creep and it'll hurt and there'll be gray hair everywhere and you'll wonder why in the world you spend more time plucking nose hair than you do actually cutting your own hair like it gets really weird really fast i'm begging you grow up and grow out of that the scripture is filled filled with stories of young people that change the world David was a shepherd boy. Timothy in the New Testament was a young man. Right? Paul looks at him and says, don't let people despise your youth. Be an example. Be an example of what it looks like to be a Christian. 
We've watched those four teens turn into four godly men, four world-changing men. Chapter 4, a couple weeks ago, we talked exclusively about Nebuchadnezzar. That is a really odd passage in all of Scripture that is a secular king writing the Word of God. Chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar writing his story. It is the, the, it is the only passage in Scripture that looks like that. So chapter 4 was Nebuchadnezzar's story. Do you remember that story? He has a dream again. He doesn't know the interpretation. He calls Daniel in and he says, Daniel, I've had this dream. This is what it was. And Daniel says, oh, king, let it be for your enemies and not for you. Remember that dream? It was a big old tree. The world found shade. It found shelter. It was fed under its branches. And then all of a sudden, a voice from heaven calls and that tree is chopped down. The roots are left, but that sheep tree is chopped down. And Daniel says, oh, king, you're getting ready to be humbled. Let it be for your enemies and not for you. God, the God of the universe, is getting ready to humble you. For seven years, you're going to be out in the field. You're going to eat grass like a cow. That was crazy. Your hair is going to look like the, the feathers of an eagle. That's what it says. And your fingernails are going to look like claws. Nebuchadnezzar is completely humbled. He is given the mind of an animal. And for seven seasons, seven years... He is out of his mind. Until what? Until he looks up and he acknowledges God as the God of the universe. You see, you and I have a really hard time with the idea that the Lord would actually will something we deem bad on our life. Don't we have a, don't we have a problem with that? Why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? That's the same kind of question. We just don't ever ask it that way. Right? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a picture of this idea that you and I just struggle with. Why would God will something that we deem bad or negative? Why would he will that on my life? The same reason why he willed it on Nebuchadnezzar's. So that you and I would be brought to a place of humility and submission. Where the grace and the goodness and the glory of God can be opened up for you and I to experience like we never will. If we are even a little bit self-sufficient. Nebuchadnezzar in that passage, if you remember, he goes a year from the prophecy to when it actually happens. And a year later, he's walking out and he's looking over Babylon. And he says, look at what I have built. Look at what I have built for my glory. And that's the moment God chooses your dying. Seven years out in the wilderness, eating grass like an animal out of his mind. He's put on old. His life is set aside. He is humbled for the glory of God. And at the end of his life, that would have been a tremendous blessing. If you and I wake up one day in heaven and we meet Nebuchadnezzar, it will be because God humbled him. A lot of us would not experience so much of what God has done in our life if we hadn't hit those hard moments. Things you and I would never choose. And yet God has placed them there so that you and I will be humble. We will let go of our self-sufficiency. We will lean into the goodness and the glory of God. And in that, we will find more joy, more peace, and more strength than we ever had on our own. We need to learn to trust the sovereign God. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled for his good. He is humbled to see God's glory. Nebuchadnezzar is brought low. And the contrast in four is with these four slave people. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happens? Their life is ever ascending. And Nebuchadnezzar's is brought low. The king of the world 
is brought low and humble to know the glory of God. And yet these four slave young men are ever ascending in the book, in their influence. And you and I, what, 25, 26, 2700 years later, are telling their story because of what God did. Even now, there is more honor to the life of these four because what God did in them and through them. Their life and their testimony is ever ascending. It's ever getting better. The end of every person will be a bowed knee to Jesus. That's the bottom line. The end of every person will be a bowed knee to the Lord of the universe. You and I are better off, so much better off to do it now, to do it willfully and have your heart involved in it. Because everyone's going to bow. Some will bow in terror. Others will bow as children. Others will bow as enemies because the force of the glory of what they're going to see is going to shake them like nothing they've ever experienced. They will, they will tremble. I was laughing. We had some of the teenagers in class with us this morning and laughing about this passage in Daniel where we're getting ready to read in chapter 5. I just, so, the king loses his bowels. That's the passage. Belshazzar, this strong, tough, in this passage, drunk dude, runs into the God of the universe and all he sees is his finger. And it's enough to shake him to his very core, to where he can't even hang on to his bodily functions. Every knee is going to bow. Eyes of fire, a consuming fire, the God of the universe. And you and I will bow as enemies, broken, or we will bow as children to the glory of the one that saved us and redeemed us. Now is the moment to do that. You and I have been given time. Now you are still breathing. You are still here. You have been given time. Now, look at Daniel chapter 5 with me. So we finish the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And we come in to Belshazzar, this guy that is known as uh, his grandson. Okay, If you start reading some of the history here, we're going to see that there's a man named Nabonidus. Nabonidus marries the daughter. This is what is known or, or what is conjectured that he marries the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And Belshazzar is there, uh, is, is second in the kingdom. We're going to see that as we read through. These pieces kind of come together. A lot of people have harassed the book of Daniel, and every time they come up with a new archaeological discovery, uh, they found out that it is true, true, and true again. And so there's a couple pieces in here that we'll talk about today that uh, scholars have mocked for a while. They mock no longer because of what they have found in the last 50 years have proven uh, Daniel to be a reliable resource. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple and drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verses 1 through 4, pride cometh before what? The fall. Listen, sometimes you get a little grace in the fall. Sometimes you hit something soft, right? Sometimes you land on something hard. And sometimes it's the last fall you ever get. You and I don't get to pick what's going on. We don't get to pick 
the response. You and I get the warnings that come, like the, the idea of the writings on the wall, right? Everybody said that before? Where does that come from? Somebody say Daniel 5. It comes from Daniel 5. The writing's on the wall. Trouble's brewing. Don't do this or this is going to happen. The writing is on the wall. Pride comes before a fall. Scripture says it. Doesn't matter what you and I are proud in. When you and I start to get a little puffed up, get ready. The humbling is coming. Proud of our accomplishments. Proud of our life. God help us. You get proud of your family. You get proud of something else. And the Lord knows exactly what buttons to push to get you and I back in the line. We live a life of grace. We were saved by grace and you and I live every day by grace. We offer nothing to the God of the universe and yet he supplies everything we need. You wake up every morning humble and thankful and you are in a very safe place. As soon as you and I roll out of bed and think, I got this, your back goes out. Right? Um, right? I had to yell at a guy at work yesterday because he walked in and the last time he asked me my age and I told him he cursed me. Totally cursed me. I said, he said, how old are you? He said, 36. He said, wait till 37. That's a hard year, man. Everything breaks down. Guess what 37 was for me? A really hard year. Hips started hurting. Everything went awry. Like it was all broken. Right? So walk in yesterday. He was like, hey, how old are you? I was like, I am not telling you anything. You are not cursing me. I wouldn't tell you the answer to that for nothing. Last time you got me, it won't happen again. We have a way of being humble. Pride comes before. You need to learn that lesson. It's like patience. You want to learn that lesson before you actually have to learn the lesson. Apply the principle before you actually have to go through what then just becomes habit. Right? What happens when you pray for patience? Anybody ever told you that one? Did they, did they say, don't pray for patience when they told you that? Why? Because God's going to answer that prayer? Right? And what's it take to get patience? The exercise of patience. Which usually requires a lot of frustration. It's the same thing with this one. Listen, do wake up every morning knowing who you are in God and then letting go of everything else outside of that. Like... Some of us wake up in the morning and we got it all planned. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you get in the car and your spouse has left it on empty. Huh? Been there and done that. I've been on both sides of that one. Right? Or your child, your toddler pukes everywhere. Right? There's a wreck and traffic is stopped. Right? Like you and I get up, we have all these plans, and what does God call that? He calls that foolishness. When you and I get so wrapped up in what we want to do or what we want to accomplish, the humility comes, the humbling comes. We are far better off to roll out of bed and just like Jesus said in Scripture, right? Whatever you want to do today, Lord, let's do it. This is my plan. You feel free to interrupt. And when you do, help me to deal with it. You see, there's going to be a catastrophic fall here so many times the Lord is so gracious, it doesn't operate like this story for us. Because if it did, we would all be in big, big trouble. Belshazzar is in the middle of himself, glorifying the kingdom, glorifying who he is in the kingdom. And then he's going to bring God into it. Bring in the gold vessels that we took from Jerusalem. 
We're going to drink. We're going to have our party. We're going to get drunk. We're going to dishonor uh, each other. We're going to dishonor the Lord. We're going to worship the idols that have been built by hands of gold and silver and wood and stone. These demons that we have built into our culture, we're going to worship them with the elements that God has given for the temple that my grandfather took that he conquered. The problem with Belshazzar is he didn't learn the rest of the lessons Nebuchadnezzar had to teach him. Belshazzar is uh, thought to be the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, son of Nabonidus and Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, uh, Natakris. Under the influence, right? Verse 2. What's the warning here? Why does Scripture let us know what's going on? Because 45 minutes earlier or a day earlier, do you think he would have been this brazen? There's a reason why Scripture pulls out. They are under the influence of what? They're drunk. They're having a party. What are some of the things you and I can be under the influence of? We're good Baptists. I'm sure nobody here drinks. Right? So in order to remove that little bit of pride, let me ask you, what else can you and I be under the influence of? It calls us to make bad, bad decisions. So last time you were angry, what'd you say? How about this one? What'd you think? Huh? Did you dial it in before you actually said it? Boy, I hope you did. Because if not, you're still apologizing. Your wife, your husband, your boss. How about this one? Uh, been under the influence of jealousy lately? What decisions have you made because somebody else you thought had something better than what you had? Been under the influence of envy lately? What have you sacrificed that is of utmost importance so you can have the nicer car, the nicer house, right? The promotion that you could have if you only worked that extra 20 hours a week? See, you and I come under influences all the time. We need to be very, very careful when we read certain stories. How about this one in our culture? When's the last time you were under the influence of fear? Huh? We're rolling out of COVID season. Thank you, Lord. CDC comes out yesterday. Finally, you don't have to quarantine. Two years? You've been operating in fear? Been under the influence of fear? Has your life stopped? Your service stopped? Your ministry stopped? Interaction with family, friends stopped? We have to be careful. There are other things we can be under the influence of. Our cultural issues are not just the only things there. There is a whole host of spiritual things you and I can fall under the influence of and they can make us make very, very, very bad decisions. They drank wine and they praised the idols made by human hands. How about verse 5? Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed and its thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Now there's other translations. There's another piece there. And it's awesome. Right? It's awesome. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around their neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Why will they be the third ruler? We're going to get there in a minute. Right? Everybody thought, that's crazy, that's stupid. I can't believe that line is in there. Why would anybody be the third ruler of the kingdom? Well, maybe because Belshazzar is not the first ruler of the kingdom. His father 
Nabonidus is. He just doesn't run the day to day. History says he was more of a vacationer, right? Probably did his seven years or so when Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. Who knows? But for some strange reason, he's not into the day to day of the kingdom. So Belshazzar can't offer the second place in the kingdom because that's his place. First place in the kingdom is a man by the name of Nabonidus. Uh, verse 9, then the king and all the wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known the king to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, his color changed, and his lords perplexed. You work for the fire department, you get to see people that are under the influence of something, and then you get to see them sober up real quick. They sober up when the cops show up, things get real serious. You narcan somebody, they sober up real quick too. From out of, just out of their mind, back into the real world. Boom, sobered up. And the first thing most of them start going is lie. What'd you take? Nothing. Overdose on pain med. Sober up real quick. Cop shows up at a car wreck. They sober up real quick. These people sobered up real quick from party to panic. From party to panic. Absolute craziness. Right? And what's going on? Right? They're going to throw a shindig. It's just going to be for the honor and the glory of the king. And it goes from party to panic real quick. The king cannot control his own knees, much less his bowels and other things that are going on in the moment. They are terrified. I told you with Nebuchadnezzar, when you and I run into our limitations, it sobers us up, it breaks us real quick, and you and I figure out that we had really been playing a game. A game of chance. It was under control because just everything fell the way it was supposed to. These things were, were in our control. We had everything together, and then this monkey wrench is tossed into our plans, our life, and everything is now distraught. And you and I find out real, real quick we were not in control of anything. That's what happens right now in this moment. To this king and all the people with him. They're in the middle of this party and then all of a sudden they're in the middle of a panic. Look at verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and the lords, came into the banquet hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Ever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. You know, everyone's laughing, drinking, hanging out, and then everyone's really, really sober. Can you imagine the sound of what changed that brought the queen mother into the banquet hall? What the wailing and the gnashing of teeth and the brokenness would have been to bring her into there to see what in the world is going on. Now she comes with enough knowledge to, to at least partially fix what their issue is. But something brought her from one part of the palace into another. And it was a change in demeanor. Wow, that's not the sound of an awesome party. That's the sound of grief. Morning. It's enough to bring her in. It's enough to bring her in with the wisdom that is going to be needed to finish. Look at 11 and 12 with me. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. Man, don't you love that? I have all those underlined. Light, understanding, and wisdom. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was the testimony of your life and mine? Whenever you and I got around, there was light, there was wisdom, there was understanding. 
you could actually be helpful to people with real problems. Want to know something amazing? If you know the Word of God, and you and I will stick to the Word of God, you will always be helpful. Some people may not want your help. They might not want what you have to offer. They might reject what you have to say, but you will still be helpful. You will still be guiding them in the right direction. And if all that can happen is you get proved right in their life, then that's enough. Right? The writing's on the wall. This is going to be a disaster. And they don't want to listen. And then it is a disaster. At least then you're proving the point that as you and I stick to the Word of God, this supernatural love letter from the God of the universe, the creator of us and all of us together individually, like this book was written to us, the more we stick to it, the more light, the more understanding, and the more wisdom you and I get to dole out for those that need it. Your children need it. Their friends need it. The people at work need it. Your church needs it. And all you and I have to do is dig our heels in on the authority of the Word of God. That's what Daniel does. And that's why Daniel is still being used in this passage. Verse 11 to 12, right? Light, understanding, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in them. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father... Uh, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Verse 12. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. She comes in like he's looking for answers with all the people that are his friends. All the people that see life like he does. All the people that have the worldview that he does. All the people there that he would call in. He's looking for help. And guess what? None can be found. But there's one person in the kingdom that has what he needs. His mother is the only one that still remembers what Daniel has accomplished. What has been in him. And look at her beautiful uh, picture of his testimony from 605 BC when Daniel comes into the kingdom comes into Babylon to 539 when the kingdom falls this very night there is one constant in that kingdom God's hand on this man all the chaos around Nebuchadnezzar is in and out of consciousness right there's war there's sin debauchery everywhere there is one constant in that kingdom. It is Daniel. For over 60 years. You and I. I don't want to say have access to. I really want to say are required. To live the same way. You think our culture is much different than Babylon's? I think not. We're watching it unravel. You and I are required to have the same kind of testimony. Right now. 65 years of stability in one man. Life has fallen apart in that kingdom more than once. There has been one person there constantly show up and be helpful with the wisdom God wanted to give to the people. It was Daniel. You and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. However long you and I get in this life, our testimony should be something like this. Understanding, wisdom, light, love, care. It's amazing. 
Daniel's character, right? The legacy and the lineage. Daniel's character, Nebuchadnezzar's story, and Belshazzar's folly. Contrast, correction, and corruption. There's a story being told here. Belshazzar, unfortunately for him, refuses to listen to what's going on prior to him getting there. Young ones, let me tell you something. Humility will take you a long way in dodging potholes. You can keep your life. You can get so many feet ahead if you will just listen to people that have gone before you and not think that just because you think you're smarter than them that you would do it different, you would do it better. That it won't be this bad for you. You'll try this and it'll work out better. It will not. If you would, if you would grab somebody with some gray hair and say, hey, help me navigate college. Some of you all get ready to get married. If you would grab some people with some gray hair and say, hey, help me navigate marriage. You would miss so many potholes. Your finances would be better. Your relationships would be better. You would start years ahead of those that come before you only because you applied what they had to give you. But instead, we get trapped constantly in the idea that we know better. Belshazzar has a whole history uh, of rich story to learn from. And instead, he chooses his own folly. So there's a contrast here in the life. Look at verse 12. As we go forward, uh, look at verse 13, I'm sorry. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel. Isn't that cool? You're that guy? Yeah. You are that Daniel. That is so awesome. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. Verse 16. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. In the moment of need, Daniel is irregular. He's not... He's irreplicable. You cannot create him out of someone else or some other thought process. He is not normal. He cannot be replaced. And he cannot be replicated. He is one of a kind. He is unique. He is there on purpose. That is you. That is you. It should be you in your school. It should be you at your job. It should definitely be you in your home. And it should be you in the church that you are serving. Nobody can replace you. Nobody can, can, be, can be cut out as a clone to do what you do. You have been hand-woven together by the God of the universe for this moment. Your job needs you. If you're where God has called you to be, that place needs you. He may change that calling in the future. Until then, what you have to offer is needed right there. It might only be for one person. And it might be a real humbling time to live and to work and to love people that don't want what you have to offer. But you and I need to understand a sovereign God has you there for a purpose. What you bring to the table cannot be replaced. You and I need to find our joy in that. The God of the universe has got his eye and his hand on you. He put you together in your mother's womb. He birthed you in this moment to be a part of what is going on. And you have a position to play. You have a part to do. And he is using you to bring glory to himself 
and to bless all of those around you. This should be our testimony too. We should be irregular. We should not be normal. There should be something so much different about your life. People may be repulsed by it. They may want nothing to do with it until their life falls apart. And then they're calling you in. Like Daniel, are you that guy? Are you that girl? Do you know that guy? Oh yeah, I know King Jesus. He's amazing. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what he can do for you. Irreplaceable. Cannot be replicated. Why third in the kingdom? We talked about that because Belshazzar is actually second in the kingdom. This is one of the pieces that everybody wanted to nitpick forever. And then they found out both their names were still on stones over there. They just hadn't found the stones yet. So Belshazzar says, you'll be third in the kingdom. You'll be right below me. Look verse 17 with me as we keep going. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. Verse 21. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. That truth is still true today. And we're struggling with this as a culture, and we need to. But we need to understand that God has a reason and a purpose. So you do what you need to do. You engage where you need to engage. And then whoever's leading, whether it's for a blessing or a curse, they're leading. We need to learn the lesson. We need to yield in to what the Lord is doing. And then we need to stop wickedness wherever we can. But this is hard to deal with in a country that gets a vote. And it's different than it was in a kingship and a dictatorship. But we need to be uh, dealing with these moments rightly. And how we're operating. Look at verse uh, 22 as we finish up. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Though you knew all this. You didn't learn the lesson from your grandfather's legacy. Only the humble will learn from the past. Only the humble will learn from the past. If you are proud, you will not care what happened yesterday, the day before, to your parents, to your grandparents. But if you're humble, you'll ask for help. You'll ask for wisdom that comes. And you will avoid so much of what this life wants to throw at you. You see, Belshazzar falls into the enemy's trap of glory, greed, and gluttony. He's proud. He's let ease. And he's full. He's proud. He's living a life of ease. And he's full. Three traps. Three traps that you and I can also be brought into. Why? Because of the country that we live in. All the stuff that we have. What you wake up to every morning is not the norm. For all of human history, people have not lived like we do. You live better than King Solomon. So do I. These, these traps are being laid out for you and I every day. Are we proud? Do we want a life of ease? Are our bellies full? When's the last time you've been hungry? It's an odd feeling in life to have that belly growl. It's an odd feeling in life, especially when you're fasting, to remember I am to hunger for the word of God like my body is yearning for food right now. 
When we're proud, it's a glory grab. You and I are reaching out for something that is God's. A life of ease is a sticky trap. It's easy and we want it. It just falls into the flesh. It's a sticky trap. There will be no growth. There will be no help. There will be no strain. And you and I will just kind of fade into oblivion. And we want to be full. And that's a lie of life. That being full is good all the time. It is absolutely not. And that's what you and I are falling into, right? The proud to, to be, to, the glory is not mine. An easy life is not needed. Can you whisper that to yourself? My life doesn't have to be easy. As a matter of fact, when life is too easy, do we turn out to be better people or worse people? Worse. There you go. Say it out loud. I got a couple of you that jumped right in. Worse. worse. When it's easy, we're worse. And that's just human nature. What happens when I worry about being full? It's never enough. It's never enough. Belshazzar, that's what he's fallen into. That's the bed that he's made instead of looking back and learning the lessons from Nebuchadnezzar, learning what happened to his kingdom, learning how God humbled him. He learns none of that because he thinks he can get it done better or that it's not going to touch him. Verse 23. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. He's mocking their gods. You see why sometimes people don't want to hear the truth you have to offer them? Daniel was mocking their gods. They don't see, they don't hear, they don't know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and who are all your ways have not, uh, you have not honored. Verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. Verse 30 says, That very night Belshazzar the captain of the king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The pride of knowing better or doing better has ruined every lesson Belshazzar should have been taught. Everything he should have learned from his family, the pride of knowing better or the pride of doing better. Listen, teenagers, this is your sin constantly. You know more. You're smarter than your parents. You're smarter than your grandparents. You're smarter than that idiot pastor. Right? This is your sin. Listen to me very carefully. The enemy wants you to bite off this fruit every day. You know better. You know what you're doing. Nobody else can tell you what to do. And in that chaos and in that frustration, you will be in trouble. So there's a human hand fashioned uh, on the wall. All these hands have built all these idols and God shows up and he mocks them. God shows up and he mocks them. He says, you take human hands. You build this stuff out of gold. You build this stuff out of wood. You build it out of stone. It's beautiful and it's neat. But it can't see, it can't hear, and it can't speak. And you worship it like fools. Isaiah, the, the 40s chapters of Isaiah 40 to 50 would say, In worshiping them, you and I become like them. Blind, 
death, and die. And yet worshiping God, we become like Him. Verse 25 to 32, we just read through. Some warnings are for change, others are for terror. Some warnings are for change. There are gracious moments when God warns you and I for change, for repentance, to be drawn back in. Those warnings are wonderful. They are grace-filled and they are merciful moments. And we rebel against them. We repel from them instead of leaning into them. God is warning us and you and I should be leaning into that like a good father calling us back. Don't do that. Don't do that. You keep going, you're going to be in trouble. You keep acting like that, you're going to make a mess. And instead, we rebel from that. We run from it. And some warnings are just for terror. There's no change in this warning coming. There's no repentance being offered. Your days have been numbered. Your kingdom has been numbered. Your life has been weighed and found wanting. You are a disaster and your life is over. Some warnings are for terror. This one was for terror. Weighed and found wanting. I love this. I'm going to finish with this as we get, as they get ready to come and play. I just want to finish with this idea with you. Some lives have no gravity. Belshazzar lived a life that had no gravity. There was no pull, no tug, no life. He was living, but there was nothing going on around him of any eternal importance. His life had been weighed and found wanting. It had been weighed and found empty, not too heavy, but too light. That idea fascinates me. His life had been weighed and made no difference for anybody but himself. Friends, if God were to weigh our life today, what would it look like? If this warning were to come up, and we could say in all of Scripture, in the next slide as I finish up, just this idea is there. You and I have been given these warnings over and over and over. The writing is on the wall. If you act this way, this will happen. If you do this thing, this will happen. The writing is there. We confuse this idea of Daniel as if that's the only way God would communicate something like this. And yet you and I treat this book like a cup holder. Or maybe, what's the thing you put on your coffee table so nobody can get stains on it? A coaster. A coaster. We treat it like a bookend. Like a museum. <clears throat> be looked at randomly, whatever else. Right? Some of us, when we come to church, like, why do I read whole passages of Scripture and nobody does? Because I'm under the firm conviction that most of the people that come to our church, they get more Scripture than I read on Sunday morning than they've gotten all of it. The writing is on the wall. God has made judgments already. He has promised blessings already. When you follow through with what's going on, there is blessing. When we keep going toward the curse, there is curse. The writing is on the wall. With Daniel, he wasn't the only person to show up and write something out so that they could read it and be terrorized. He has written something out for you and I so that we could read it and be changed. God says to be wise, to be shrewd, to be loving, to be kind, to be compassionate. He tells us to be all of these things. He says there's a blessing with all of them. He tells us not to lie, not to cheat, not to be false to your word. Right? He tells us to treat other people with kindness and respect. He tells us those things, but when we refuse to do them, we land in a curse. And we take others with us to partake, just like Belshazzar did. This is not the only time in the world that God has showed up and told somebody, told us, your life is not heavy enough. 
There's not enough going on. There's not enough light there. There's not enough weight and enough gravity to help or love anybody else. It's just all about you. That's what we need to be worried about. That's what the moment of salvation is. When you and I come to a realization that we need what God has to offer, that's what just happened. We figured out that our life had been weighed and it was found wanting. It was not enough. And yet God has made a way. The young ones in here this morning that have come back with us, that is the gospel. We are a mess. God has saved us. God has made a way. Jesus on that cross has redeemed us. And now my life can be more like His every day until I go home to be. Would you stand with me this morning? If you don't know that, Lord, if you're worried about something going on in your life right now, some of you are battling a temptation right now. There's enough people here. I know it's proven. Somebody in here is being tempted to do something they should not do. Let me tell you, I want you to take this warning. That very night was the last night they had an opportunity. It was over. It was done. Days numbered, kingdom numbered, life found wanting, and then it was over. Friends, I am begging you, the writing is on the wall. Do not slip into that temptation. Do not follow through with whatever's going on in your life. You've got somebody messaging you that shouldn't be. You've got something going on at work that you're tempted to get into. Right? You've got something going on at school where they're mistreating this person or that person. Or you can cheat a little bit here or you can do a little bit of this. I am begging you, run from that temptation. Run from it. Somebody here this morning is going through that. I am begging you right now, do not make that mess. Do not make that mistake. The writing is on the wall. The scripture is filled with it. If you need something this morning, you come. You want to pray, you come. You want to talk to somebody, we'll work it out. But the altar's open for you. 